I don't know where you're at when it comes to faith. Maybe you're a new believer. Maybe you're not yet a believer. Maybe you've been a believer for many years. But there's this interesting thing that I see happens in this faith journey. And in, this, in some ways, there's like this trend line. For those that are new in our faith, sometimes we're at like this high point, right? There's this, this thing where we, we're seeking God. We're, we're working to clean up our broken relationships and our broken habits. And we have this conviction and we're getting into the word. And we have this love for sharing our faith. And over time, as time goes, sometimes that fire or that passion can start to simmer a little bit. And it's an interesting thing to see. You know, all the things that we were doing and feeling right after we were saved, maybe it just starts to simmer out a bit. And for many of us, we can believe the right things, we can be doing the right things, but we may start to get complacent in our faith. Maybe it's just some of you are at this place where we begin to build up some walls when it comes to our faith. And maybe we begin to have this religious spirit without even knowing it. And so today we are going to talk about that. We are, we are in the continuation of our Roman series, and this Roman series is all about finding freedom. And so today, I believe that no matter what part or season that you are at, that we are going to find freedom. And I pray that this sermon is part of that. And I really want to look today at how God desires in each one of us and has always desired our hearts and not our religion. And so we're going to talk about that. And for me, the trend line was actually opposite. You know, I was raised in a family of faith and I was raised as a, uh, as a United Methodist. And so I was raised in this mainline traditional church. There's beauty within it. Like we learned in the sacred uh, pathways that a traditionalist, there is a lot of good in liturgy and remembering our past. And we can find God in that way. But for me, at a young age, I felt a spirit of religion. And how did I do that? You know, for me, I was an acolyte. And it wasn't actually until I was like in college that I really took my faith seriously. But when I was in like, I don't know when I started, like fourth grade maybe to junior high, I was this thing called an acolyte. And not only was I like a, an acolyte, I was probably top 20 of all time acolytes. I was like the Michael Jordan or the MJ, I was like the MJ of acolytes. And you might be saying if you grew up in a non-traditional church, if you grew up like charismatic background or non-denominational evangelical church, you might be like, I don't even know what he's talking about. But let me tell you about the job of an acolyte. The acolyte was I, oftentimes a, a boy, and there were often two boys, and we would bring the light or bring the, the flame or to light the candles on the altar. This is a big deal. It's the start of the service. It's also the end of the service. We're the beginning and the end. We're the, we, we are the uh, all eyes on the acolytes at the beginning of this serv service. And so we would go in the back and we wore white robes and we had this gold stick with a wick at the end. And we would legitimately practice these things. Now, I don't know if anybody else was an acolyte, but at my church, and I assume at every other church, for some reason, the person they choose to be in charge of the acolyte was always like the meanest old woman in the church, and she took it so seriously. Matter of fact, we practiced being an acolyte. 
Like we would have to come in in the middle of the week and we have to go up and you would walk up in, in unison and you would light the candle, you'd take two steps back, you, you would bow, you would turn opposite so you didn't light your other acolyte friend on fire and you would walk out. And so every Sunday when I was chosen, it was like this moment. It was like the Rams and the Bengals getting ready to go out in the Super Bowl. You're sitting in the back, you got your white robe on, and it was like all eyes on you. And I felt so religious growing up. It was incredible. And the organ would start to play, and they would open the, open the, gate, open the doors, and it felt like a spotlight was on me. And man, did I acolyte. I was, I was killing it. But for me, this was this idea of like this religious spirit. And so many of us, it's just a funny story that I would tell you growing up, but for many of us, we can look at, you know, kind of these traditional churches and we say, oh, that's so religious. But for many of us, maybe a religious spirit has begun to sneak up on you. And so I want you to look and I want you to reflect today in your past or maybe now, I want you to look at not my religiosity, but maybe looking at yours and asking where is there and examine some life of where maybe a religious spirit has begun to sneak up on you. And sometimes it's hard for us to see where it exists in our own life, but it's really easy to see how it exists in someone else's life. And so today we're going to talk about Romans 2 and 3, and we're going to talk about how God has always, always, always been about our heart and not about religion. Now, why is this so important in the church today? Well, you know, I think, I, I hope that each one of you feel this, but we as a church, and church leadership in particular, we desire revival right now more than ever. If you just look around our community, you just look, uh, if you just drive to Target or you drive to Starbucks, you see so much pain and hurt. Maybe in your own families, you're feeling pain and hurt. There's pain and hurt in your neighborhoods. We desire revival. We sing about it on the weekends. We talk about it and we so desire revival. But there's a mistake we oftentimes make when we think about revival. We think about revival as new people coming into the faith. Like that's what all of us desire. But if you study these things, if you study revival, here's where it starts. It doesn't start with a bunch of new people just randomly finding out about this thing and starting to come to church. It starts and it begins with people recommitting their heart to the gospel and to God. Recommitting their hearts to God, giving everything over to them is how how revival starts. And, and, and it really then begins to grow the church. It then begins to be attractive to other people, and they start to come in. But people with renewed hearts are always at the center of revival. And so if that's true, here's a hard point. If we are a church with cold or religious or hardened hearts, can that be the antithesis of revival? And so we want to talk about this today. What happens when we begin to get a religious heart? What happens if we take our, if we look at our heart and we begin to find our own justification and what we do or who we associate with instead of the grace of God? And Paul's going to talk about this in the section today. 
You know, Romans 1, 2, and 3 is really this long argument, and we've talked about this. It's this long argument, and he's putting us in the courtroom. He's putting everyone in the world in this courtroom, and he's been writing to remove any grounds from you and from me and for the, for the Roman uh, Christians. He's removing any grounds that we may think we, have been, we are being right in God's sight through our own strength. And so the whole thing can be summed up in that. And so he's writing this argument, and remember, Paul is writing to all Christians in Rome, to all believers in Rome. And the believers are made up of kind of two groups, those with a Jewish background who are believers now, and those with a non-Jewish background who are believers uh, now. And you're going to see that in this section, he's writing to both, and he's going to be making this argument. So we're going to jump in, and we're going to jump in at Romans 2, 25 through 27, and it says, Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So then if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though, though they, have been, they were circumcised? The one who's not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn, will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. Okay, I'm going to use this term circumcision more times than I feel comfortable right now, but we are going to look at what is circumcision. And we're not going to go into detail about what is circumcision, but we are going to go look at why circumcision was so important. And circumcision was a cultural marker of God's covenant with Jewish people, in particular with Jewish males, obviously. In ancient times, this is how people would have made a promise or a covenant together. It would not have just been a word or a handshake. They might do things like, in ancient times, they might do things like they would take dust and they might throw it up and throw it on their head. And they say, if I break this promise or I break this covenant, may I turn into dust. They might take an animal and they might cut it in half. And they might say, if I break this covenant or promise, May I be like this animal and be cut in half. This is what they're talking about. This is serious stuff. A covenant and a promise was a big deal. It's not like we have today. You know, we got this new building. And so 90% of my day is sign here, initial here, initial here, sign here, initial here. And then we are in a, a contractual agreement, right? But they're saying, no, symbolism is so important. In ancient times, people made promises and when they made covenants together, they would use symbolism to seal the deal. And that's what's happening here. Circumcision was a visual sign of the penalty for breaking a covenant. And it's a sign of sincerity. And so circumcision was a symbolism of how Jewish males were brought into the covenantal relationship. We see it in Genesis 17, 9 through 11. It says, Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Circumcision is this cutting off of a very intimate and personal thing. So it was God's way of saying, if you want to be in relationship with me, 
It's this sign that if you break the covenant, you will be cut off. But of course, no human keeps the covenant perfect. But because this cutting off of circumcision was already done, it was a sign to remind us of the significance of the covenant of God. So now, going back to what Paul's saying in Romans 2, he's saying that there can be this thing really as dead faith. You can be circumcised, but not following the law, and you can be a transgressor because of that. And in matter of fact, he says there are uncircumcised people, meaning Gentiles, who are following the law better than you. And so for each of us, we can have the basic doctor, doctrines of faith, we can do all the things right, but we don't make it an internal difference. You may have an understanding of the gospel, but there's no internal revolution. And that's what God is desiring. There can be this place or this time that we have this really lack in our inner lives. And you know, in 2022, the word that God really gave me for this church was the, to begin revival in our communities, we have to connect with God in our innermost being. This is what God has always been about. Christian, Christianity, for some of us, can become this thing where it's just this outside thing for many of us. It can be like circumcision, where it's just, it's just on the outside we're Christian. It can be more about performance or approval-seeking, wanting to fit in or be part of the social group of a church. Maybe it's our hearts can be proud and, and untrusting towards God. If we really check it, many of us might be there. Or it can become hard towards other people. It's not about gathering together to just be reassured, but it's really about the gospel calling us to inside-out faith, not outside-in. It's not about looking the part, but it's about changing on the inside. And it's all about everything that we do flows out of the internal. And so we gather together, not just to be reassured about our faith, but to radically change the inside of us through Christ Jesus. And you see it. It's not about bearing a sign. It's not about church membership. It's not about circumcision while having a total lack of change on the inside. Because once that is what be, the other things become the thing, then we miss the point. And that's what Paul's saying here to the Romans. So Paul is saying to Jewish Christians, if you lean on your culture mar marker of God's covenant, circumcision, but don't live by faith and live out your faith, you are completely missing it. And he's saying to the Gentiles, although you aren't circumcised, but you do the things that God asks you, you are not worried about religion, but you desire to be obedient in your faith. And God is making it clear, and he's been making it clear throughout his history and through his Hebrew text that what he desires is our hearts. Deuteronomy 10.16, it says, Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. And Jeremiah 4.4 tells us this. It's sobering. Circumcise yourself to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts, you people of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, or my wrath will flare up and burn like fire because of the evil you have done. Burn with no one to quench it. And Paul is going to lay it out right here in this next part in Romans 2, 28 through 29. For the Jew is not one outwardly, nor is circumcision outwardly in the flesh, 
but the Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter, whose praise is not from people, but from God. It's all about the heart. It's all about the heart. We find that our identity in Christ, we find our identity in Christ when we understand this. It, it, it's an image that we have to think about. This circumcised heart, one that is softened internally, one that has unnecessarily cut away everything that isn't what God desires for you and for me. It's one that desires to be faithful. It's one that desires to follow Jesus, not out of uh, uh, not out of duty or obligation, but because of love. It's one that desires an active prayer life. It's one that desires getting into the Word. It's one that desires a relationship. It's one that frees us from performance to live fully, living in the grace of Christ Jesus. Look, this is... Uh, this is my wedding ring. It's 13 years. I don't know if you can see that on video, but 13 years I've had this wedding ring with my wife, Meg. And it's this sign of a covenant with Meg. And it's actually really cool. The salesman totally got me. It's titanium. And so it's the same stuff that's used on a space shuttle. Uh, although I did hear that you can't cut it. So if I ever break my finger like playing basketball, they'll have to cut off my finger. But that, that's not the point. It's this ring is this covenant that I have with Meg. Now, what happens if I think that the ring is enough? What happens if I think uh, this is enough to just uh, you know, please Meg, but I never give her my heart. I never connect with her on a heart level. I, on our innermost beings, we never connect in that way. We never emotionally connect. We never spiritually connect. We may even never physically connect. But God desires this. We are his bride. We are in this relationship with Him. And us as a church, He desires a heart connection with us so much. He desires a heart connection with you and with me. And again, like circumcision, symbols only matter when they remind us to look to the reason that they exist in the first place. It reminds us of who we belong to. And this is when revival will happen. When the church, us as a church, you and me, we desire this heart connection and we give our hearts to God like never before and revival will begin because out of it, that's where it starts and he doesn't want religion, he wants our hearts. So now we jump into Romans 3. And Romans 3, 1 through 8, I'm not going to read it, but there's like this question section. You just ask these questions and there's these answers. I encourage you to read it. Verse 1 is like, is there no advantage to being a Jew then after all this? And he says, of course not. There's, there's, of course, there's, there's great, great value in knowing God's word. And, and so it's, there's advantages. And for many of us, there's advantages for us being raised in church. Maybe it's hard because we've been believers for a long time. But if you were raised in church like I was, even though I had religion in me and I had faith, but I of course, had, you know, the scriptures over me, and I was raised to be a person of faith, and I'm, I'm forever thankful for that. But Paul is going to ask some questions, and I encourage you to read this. But I'm going to jump into Romans 3, 9. It says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. This is where Paul has been leading us since Romans 1. Everyone 
is under sin and no one is righteous in and of themselves. Jews, Gentiles, believers, non-believers, all of us are in the courtroom. And each one of us has these like citizenship papers, right? And for some of us, it says under sin. And for some of us, it says under grace. And he's going to say all of us are under sin. But if we believe, if we have faith, if we give our hearts to God, we are under grace. And it changes everything. And so let's jump ahead to Romans 3, 19 through 20. It says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. He says, look, here's the thing. No one, not one, nobody will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. We can't say, well, I'm a good law keeper. Law keeper. I, I can stand right with God. Again, it puts us in the courtroom with a perfect God who is the judge. And so, verse 19 and 20 tells us that the law is not given to us uh, so that observing it, we can become righteous because we are all sinful. But the law makes us conscious of our sins. And that's why it's so important. Because whenever we read the law, we should be like this. I am a sinner. I fall short. I have no defense in the courtroom except through faith in Jesus Christ and the grace that Jesus Christ gives us. We have to remember this, that Paul is making a whole argument. And that argument takes us back to Romans 1, 16, where it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of the gospel that what? that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. It's the gospel. The law reveals our sin. The gospel saves us from the sin. We then repent of those sins. And now by faith, we are righteous. So let's read on. Romans 3, 21 through 31. These are some of the most powerful uh, words in the Bible. And I want you to really internalize it. Because if you are not a believer, if you are a new believer, if you've been a believer for years, I want you to read this. I want you to internalize it and reflect on it. Listen to these words and let them sink in. They're some of the most powerful words that Paul wrote in any of his letters. So let's read this. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are all and are all are justified freely by His His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, though the, through the shedding of His blood, to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? Is excluded because of what law? The law that requires work? Works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? 
Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Now, what do we learn about righteousness here? It involves complete dependence on the grace of Christ. Four things that, we, that I want to point out. Number one, first, righteousness of God is available to all equally through faith in Jesus Christ. It says it right here, Romans 3.22. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. Number two, it's not about works. It's all about faith, and we are now in the faith game. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we know this. Third, it's a gift. Verse 24, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And fourth, we get it through faith in Christ's work on the cross. Romans 3.25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. So we understand this. We now know that we're all sinners. We now know that we're only justified. We're only in right standing because of the work that Christ did and through our faith in him. So how then should we act? And I want to say that it says here, we are now righteous with God, but do we boast? You know, Paul answers that it should be excluded. And what it means is we don't boast because of what we did. We live in thankfulness for what God did. You know, boasting is all about what we put our how we put our confidence in our own strengths or our own worldly advantages. Maybe it's that we're good people. Maybe it's that we're blessed with smarts. Maybe it's that, uh, that we have a strong moral compass. Maybe it's that we're the most patient of us all, me excluded in that one. But Paul says, and he lists these things for himself that might allow him to boast in. So let's go to Philippians 3, 4 through 9, because he's going to list out reasons why he should be boastful. And so Philippians 3, 4 through 9, it says, If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcision on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But what's he going to say next? He's going to consider it all rubbish. Verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul was circumcised. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He had a zeal like none other. But Paul is telling us that we have to give up our sense of self-importance. 
our autonomy, our identity, our security. We have to lose all things. God made us righteous. We are justified through Jesus' work on the cross, and that brings surpassing worth to our lives, and it's worth giving everything up for. And Paul says that in that passage in Philippians. Paul ties it all together to help us remember that God desires a circumcised heart, not religion. Verse 30, again, Romans 30, Romans 3.30. Since there is only one God who justifies the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. It is all about faith. So then how do we act? You know, I, I said this at the beginning, but we have to make sure that we are rooting out anything religious in our hearts. Because my prayer, this is my prayer, and my hope is that Redeem would just play this small part in a revival that's going to take place in the Pacific Northwest. And that's my heart. That's my heart is that we would get our hearts right. And with that, revival would begin to take place. So what can we do? You know, well, next week we're going to talk about this. We're going to go through Romans 4, and we're going to take a deeper look at faith. And we're looking at Abraham, and I'm excited about that. But what can we do now? Well, if you're not a believer, if you, if you listen to this and you don't yet believe, here's my prayer, and we'll pray this at the end, that you understand this, that we all fall short, all of us, everyone that is watching this, all fall short but that God made a way for each one of us to be in right standing with Him. And we simply do this. We repent of our sins and believe in His Son, Jesus Christ, who did all the work on the cross. So that, that's, if that's you, that's my prayer, is that you feel this nudge of your heart, or you feel that this, this, uh, this sense that, I, I, that you want to believe. And so I'm going to pray for you at the end. And if you are a believer... Remember the, the, the scale that we talked about at the beginning of the sermon. You know, this faith trend line. You know, as we're new in our faith, we, we, we're, we're all at this high point of sharing our faith and living out our faith. And maybe some of us, it begins to build up these walls and this religious spirit maybe that comes in. If you're a believer, no matter how long, whether you've been one year or 30 years, my prayer is that you, this week you would spend time reflecting on this powerful verse. And I think this is where it all starts. Psalm 51, 12 through 13. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. I pray that you will be restored with joy in your salvation and your first love, that you would, have, would really be able to just connect with the spirit and just begin to have more of a willing spirit by remembering the joy of your salvation. That you would not be ashamed of your faith, but with that would be eager to go out and share the gospel with people who are desperately needing Jesus right now, maybe more than ever in our time and place. And so I pray that for you because faith and recommitment seems to be the key to revival, not religion. So I want to pray this over you. So Heavenly Father, we thank you that you made a way when there was, there was no way. that You made a way through the cross. I thank you that you forgive us of all our sins. I thank you that you are the ones that make us right and that we are in right standing with a perfect God. When I just think about it, I'm amazed. 
And for those that don't believe, Lord, I pray that they would put their faith in you. Lord, that they would, they would give their whole lives to you. That they would understand that it's, it's, it's such a better life. And that, Lord, as we know, we're all standing in the courtroom. And that their citizen papers would say, under grace and not under sin anymore. I pray that they would believe in you and that they would give their whole lives to you. And the same true for the believers. I pray that, we would, that you would soften our hearts. Lord, that you would root out any religious spirit that we have in us. That you, would, that you would help us to connect with our friends, family, coworkers, neighbors like never before, Lord, that, that, you, we, would, that we would see revival in our time, that we, would, that we would connect with you, that we would love you more and more each day, that we would have a desire to be in deeper relationship with you, be, a desire to be in deeper prayer with you, Lord. And we pray that you would help us to remember the joy of our salvation, Lord, that we would just have a spirit that's not ashamed of the gospel, but that's eager to share the gospel because we remember that you saved us. And Lord, we just love you with all our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, next week we're going to go in and look at Abraham and faith in Romans 4. Read it beforehand. We love you and we will see you next week.